So would you turn uh, to the book of Hosea? We're continuing our studies in the book of Hosea. And uh, remember, we have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea. So if you go to those big prophets at the end, uh, uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Hosea. And we come to Hosea uh, chapter 4 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and no one and none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles, for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore, and your brides or daughters-in-law commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, and your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to nothing. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Bethlehem, even, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they shall give themselves to whoring. When rulers dearly love shame, a wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of the sacrifices." Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of His own Word. Now, you remember uh, from our studies uh, in Hosea that uh, the prophet Hosea had taken the initiative and been reconciled to his promiscuous and philandering wife, Gomer. For some reason that we can't be sure of, he had to purchase his own wife back again And he asked her to demonstrate her loyalty to this new relationship 
by living with him for a period of time, but without uh, any kind of intimacy with her former lovers and indeed without any intimacy with himself. Now, did Gomer abide by those conditions? Did she stay with Hosea? Did the marriage survive? Well, the simple answer to that question is we don't know. The prophet doesn't tell us. It would take a long time for Hosea to build up trust again with Gomer. His emotions had been tortured, his heart had been twisted, and his trust had been broken. One thing is for sure, however, and that's if if the marriage did survive and didn't break down, it would have more to do with Hosea's faithfulness, grace, and compassion than a change in heart in Gomer's part. Chapter 3 marks the end of the emphasis upon Hosea's domestic tragedy, and attention is almost now exclusively uh, moved to that other unfaithful, promiscuous, and philandering wife, Israel. Just as Hosea's heart had been broken through his marriage to his adulterous wife, so God's heart had been broken through Israel chasing after her lovers, and most notably, the God of Baal, the fertility God of Baal. Now, in chapter 4, God exposes the crimes of Israel. Look at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Now, that word controversy is, a, a once again, a, a legal term. The NIV translates it as charge. The Lord has a charge against the inhabitants of the land. The New American Standard Version, the Lord has a case against uh, the land. It was a a legal controversy. God is a plaintiff bringing an accusation against his people under the scrutiny of the jury and laying the offenses of Israel uh, bare. Now, it is a difficult chapter, difficult to translate, and uh, versions differ in their renderings of some key phrases, but also difficult to apply. But we want to break it down in this way. We want to see the charge examined, the reason explained, the source exposed, and the warning extended. So first of all, then, the, the charge examined. Under the scrutiny of the judge, Israel is charged with two crimes. They were spiritually corrupted, and they were morally bankrupt. Look at the second half of verse 1. They were, spirit, they were uh, spiritually corrupted. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There was no faithfulness. Israel had been like that unfaithful wife, breaking her marriage vows to God. The authorized version says no truth. That's in relation, truth in relation to God. Her marriage to God was a sham. Uh, Her marriage to him was simply built on lies. She did not keep only on to him as long as they both lived. She had been unfaithful and untruthful to the promises she made in the marriage covenant. There was no uh, faithfulness. There was no steadfast love. NIV says love. The authorized version says mercy. It is the uh, wonderful word 
uh, in the Hebrew language, hesed, pronounced with a very hard H that you spit as you, you say it, hesed. There's no hesed. And hesed is sometimes translated as loving kindness, undeserved kindness, uh, unfailing love. Sometimes it's translated as grace, sometimes mercy, sometimes love. But it is a, a kind of covenant love, a, um, a love that God has for His people that continues, unfailing love. It's like um, the Ralph Davies calls it a Velcro love or superglue love or sticky love. It's a love that cannot be broken. And although God loves His people with that hesed love, His people don't reciprocate with that hesed love. Their love is fragile and feeble and fickle. It disappears uh, very quickly, as we were thinking of in our last study, for something as trivial as raisin cakes. So there was no faithfulness to God. There was no consistency in their love, and there was no uh, knowledge of God in the land. Remember, I, I, in a previous study, I said when we read the word knowledge in Scripture, it's not simply intellectual apprehension. It's, it's a word of intimacy. It's a word of love. Adam knew his wife Eve. And what we're being told there was that there was no intimacy between God and Israel. There's no intimacy between God and Israel, that the, the relationship had declined. So in any marriage union, there are three essential ingredients. Faithfulness to your marriage partner, consistency in your love to that partner, and intimacy between you and that partner. In Israel's spiritual relationship to God, there was no faithfulness, no steadfast love, and there was no knowledge of God. They were spiritually corrupted. But secondly, they were morally corrupted. Look at Verse 2, there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. There is a humanist myth that has dominated uh, Western society for the last two or three hundred years, and that myth says that you can separate the morality of a society from its religion, that you can have the lofty moral ideals of Christianity without the theology of Christian dogma. Morals make sense, people say. You don't have, need a Bible to tell you that murder and theft constitute undesirable behavior. You don't need a religious basis for your um, morality. What you need is a secularized education that simply points out the detrimental effects of antisocial behavior. Now, you may control the behavior of a computer with that kind of logic, but you will not control the human race. To dispense with the religious principles always undermines the morality of a society. Humanists have a misplaced confidence in the essential goodness and reasonableness of the human race, which experience does not simply endorse. If history teaches us anything, it teaches us that the morality of a society is intrinsically linked to the religion of that society. That religious decay spurns moral decay. And when a society bar, um, abandons its religion, pretty soon uh, the greedy, violent, selfish temper of the individual and the wider society will break forth into social evil. It may take a generation or two because tradition can prop up 
the morality uh, for a while, but eventually a people that abandon their religion will abandon their morality. And it's interesting in Romans 1, when uh, um, Paul is describing the wickedness of the human society, he says the wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth. That the godlessness comes first, and the wickedness then is a fruit of the godlessness. And that's what's happened in our society, and that was what was happening in 8th century Israel. Her departure from God led to all kinds of uh, moral evil. In verse 2, Hosea points a fearful, or paints a fearful picture sorry, of moral degeneracy. Verse 2, they had a contempt for the sanctity of language. They swore. They had a contempt for the sanctity of truth. They lied. They had a contempt for the sanctity of life. They murdered. They had a contempt for the sanctity of property. They stole. They had a contempt for the sanctity of marriage. They committed adultery. All these things were not simply isolated um, acts. They were a, 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 a description of a society that had abandoned God in general, anarchy and violence had become the norm. The religious decline in Israel led to a moral mess in Israel. And are things so different in our society? Open any newspaper, what do you read of? Swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. That's the content of the news. And why is it so? Because our society, like Israel, has abandoned God. There is no faithfulness, no steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. And politicians are left scratching their head, asking the question, why is this country morally going down the tubes? Well, here's the answer. There is no knowledge of God in the land. And secularized education can never replace Christian dogma as a basis of uh, morality because people are not basically good. Dispense with religion, and you dispense with a morality. And the sooner our government understands that, the better. So this is the charge that uh, was examined. They were spiritually corrupted, and they were morally bankrupt. The reason explained. Now, we must ask ourselves, how could professing people of God fallen so low and strayed so far in their relationship with God? Why the decline? How could it be that a nation who knew once the pure, unadulterated worship of Yahweh engage in such things and worship idols? Look at verses 12 to 14. Do you see the description that's, that's given of Israel's Uh, religious practices. My people inquire of a piece of wood. A piece of wood. And their walking staff gives them oracles. It's like children playing with dead dolls and eeny, meeny, miny, moe as they seek to know the future. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to play the whore. They have left their God. They have left the true and living God. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebith because their shade is good. But that shade had nothing to do with air temperature, but it had everything to do 
being uh, hidden from scrutinizing eyes because of what happened under the oak, the poplar, and the terebinth. Therefore your daughters play the whore, and your brides commit adultery. I will punish your daughters when they play the whore, not your brides uh, or daughters-in-law, when, uh, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside to prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. You see what he's saying? He's saying your, your daughters are living loosely and immorally. Why is that? Because they see you going up to the cult prostitutes and they see you engaging in that kind of behavior and they just copy you. Now, how was this possible? How did it come about? How could Israel abandon the true and living God and engage in such wicked, wicked practices in the uh, name of worship? Well, verse 6 gives us the answer. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Do you see that? My people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. That's the reason for the decline. There was a desperate ignorance of the word of God in Israel. Did you notice how verse 2 closely corresponds with the Ten Commandments, swearing, a violation of the Third Commandment, lying, a violation of the Ninth Commandment, murder, a violation of the Sixth Commandment, stealing, a violation of the Eighth Commandment, adultery, a violation of the Seventh Commandment, following after Baal, a violation of the First Commandment, their idolatry, a violation of the Second Commandment, daughters turning to prostitution, a violation of the Fifth Commandment. Israel was a a nation that was marked with disobedience to the law of God. And the reason they were disobedient to the law of God is because they were ignorant of the law of God. My people are destroyed through a lack of knowledge. Now, it wasn't that they hadn't received the law. They had the law, but they never took the law into their minds and into their hearts and understood and lived out what it was saying. It's interesting in verse 11 and verse 14, which is the um, section that we read that described the um, prostitution that was involved in the worship of Baal and all the idolatry. In verse 11, uh, that we have um, a proverb that opens that section and closes that section, that section that describes the idolatry and immorality of Israel. And uh, in verse 11, you read of the, the first one, whoredom, wine, and new wine. Notice this, which take away understanding. The authorized version says, whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. He says, you know that old proverb? about women and wine blurring the mind. It's true of you, Israel. Your drunkenness and your promiscuity have dulled your minds. Larry Kinder, in his little commentary, puts it like this, wenching and whining addle the mind. Women and wine have muddled your mind, have pickled your mind. You're no longer thinking straight. Then Hosea quotes another proverb in verse 14. A people without understanding come to ruin. So women women and women 
whining and women addle the mind. That's the first proverb. And the last proverb then is, a people without understanding shall ruin, uh, shall come to ruin. And then you have in between this catalog, this description of the sins of Israel. And so we have this description put between these two proverbs, the women and wine muddle the mind, uh, people without understanding will come to ruin. Why were these people in such a morally and religiously depraved condition? Because they had rejected the Word of God. They were no longer a thinking people. My people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. And that is always the case. Spiritual declension by the individual or by a church always begins with a neglect of the Word of God. Those, verse 14, those who will not think will not survive. We grow as Christians, we mature as Christians through truth entering the intelligence and dropping from the intelligence to the heart. And if you don't think, says Hosea, you will not survive. Now, we live in a generation of Christians who will not think. The Christian church is obsessed by experience, by pleasure, and by entertainment. In fact, knowledge is perceived in many quarters to be almost unspiritual. Theological ignorance is something that you should be proud of. Pity my simplicity. I'm just a a simple Christian. Hosea comes back and says, my people are destroyed. Destroyed through lack of knowledge. Not through a lack of experience. Not through a lack of shivers up the spine and tingles in the fingers. Not with a a lack of excitement. They got plenty of that in the shady places under the poplar, the terabith, and the oak. But my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. That was the problem. There was this disinterest and this rejection of theology. Today, people will build churches on the most flimsy of foundations, on personalities, on styles, on songs, but rarely, rarely on truth. There is a a desperate ignorance in the pew and in the pulpit. And what gets me is that people are actually proud of this. I remember speaking to a girl about a, um, a theological issue, and she says, oh, I'm not interested. She's not interested. I'm just a simple Christian. Like people boast of their ignorance. My people are destroyed, destroyed through lack of knowledge. Could it be that our um, low level of spirituality and our hankering after the world and the excitement that the world gives and the titillation that the world provides. Could it be that the reason for that is an ignorance of the Word of God? My people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. Charge examined, the reason explained, the source exposed. Why were these people so ignorant of the Word of God? Well, just read verses 4, 5, and 6 with me. Yet let no one contend, and let none 
uh, accuse, for with you is my contention. Notice this, O priest, you shall stumble by day, the prophet shall also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. The more they increased, that's the priest, the more the priests increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed upon the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. So why was Israel in such a mess? Who was to blame for the moral mess and the spiritual declension? It was the clerics. It was the people of God who who were entrusted with teaching the word of God. And that proverb, like people like priests, because the priests were corrupted, the people were corrupted. The writer Owen Wister, Wister, uh, the author of the novel The Virginian, said, a middling doctor is a poor thing. A middling lawyer is a poor thing. But keep me from a middling man of God. Uh, he would have found little to command the clergy in 8th century Israel. To accuse them of being middling would have been a compliment. They were hopelessly implicated in the spiritual downgrade of the the nation. They stood accused. And the reason they were implicated was because of the ignorance that they had of the Word of God was communicated to the people of God. The priests were uh, the primary custodians of the law of God. Among their other duties, they had to offer sacrifices. They had to engage in ceremonial ritual. Rituals, but their primary function was to teach the word of God, the law of God. But eighth century clergy had given up on that and had compromised with the waywardness of the people. They turned a blind eye to all that was going on. Maybe verse 8 gives us a little clue as to why that was happening. They feed on the sins of my people and are greedy for their iniquity. See, one of the things is that when you offered a sacrifice, the priest was allowed to retain part of that sacrifice for himself, either to eat and feed his family or to uh, sell off and uh, 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 accrue money from the sale. But when these the, the people of Israel started uh, to follow after Baal, the numbers were decreasing at the, the legitimate shrines. And so what they'd done was they incorporated the worship of Baal Uh, into the shrines. And they lived off the sins of the people. They turned a blind eye to their idolatry and to their immorality. And they just went with the flow. If you can't beat them, join them. That was their attitude. The more they, verse 7, the priests, the more they were, the, the priests, the more they sinned against me. It's like that old misprint on the church notice board. Instead of the singing will be led by the pastor, which would be a terrible thought, but, but instead of the singing will be the sinning, the sinning will be led by the pastor. These priests were implicated. They had abandoned a teaching ministry 
in favor of this idolatry and this sacramental hocus-pocus that left the people in ignorance. And are people so different today? Middling men of God. Middling men of God. People who will introduce anything and anything, anything and everything into the church to attract people, to build up numbers, to make them feel good. I was talking to a pastor of a different denomination on one occasion. And he said, you know, in, in my church, I only preach once a month. And we do all these other things uh, uh, every other week. And I, th- I said to him, are you happy with that? And he says, oh, oh, no, I'm not happy. But why did you let that happen? And he says, well, I have to think of a man's a pension and the family. Feeding of the sins of the people. And I have to say that much of the spiritual and moral declension in churches today is due directly to the compromise of of its ministers. They abandon the primary function of the ministry, which is a Bible teaching ministry, and the primary credential for the ministry, which is holiness of life. Beware, beware of middling men of God. The charge examined, the reason explained, the source exposed, and the warning extended. Look at verses 15 and 16. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to beth and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Verse 15, God speaks to Israel's sister nation, to Judah. It's as though if the evidence is being, as the evidence is being presented in court, he casts his eye up to the gallery and he sees Judah in the gallery and uh, uh, he's concerned then about Judah, the sister nation. And he says, watch out, Judah. Don't you fall into the same trap as your sister. In fact, stay away from her unless you become uh, uh, corrupted and compromised and and you yourself end up in the dock. Don't go up to Gilgal. Don't go up to Beth-Avon. Don't say, um, uh, as surely as the Lord lives. You see, Gilgal and Bethel were the two principal shrines in the northern kingdom. But so corrupt had those shrines become and contaminated with the worship of Baal that Hosea refuses to use the proper name for one of them. Bethel meant house of God. But that's not what she had become. Beth-Avon means house of evil. House of evil, a much more appropriate term. Judah, keep away from churches like that for goodness sake. The priesthood is so corrupted that mere attendance at them could corrupt you. Even the apparent liturgy they used, as surely as the Lord lives, has become saturated with pagan overtones. It sounds a bit like a fertility chant. The Israelites, verse 16, were like a stubborn heifer. How can the Lord lead them into green pastures and feed them from his word? She was like a bullock that wouldn't budge. She had joined herself to idols. 
And God says, leave her alone. Ephraim was the principal uh, tribe of the northern kingdom. Ephraim has joined herself to idols. Leave her alone. Keep away from her, Judah. Whatever you do, keep away. They're under judgment, verse 19, and a whirlwind will sweep them away. I like Judah, perhaps we need to learn from the tragic example of, of Israel. But, uh, but sometimes it's better to stay away from such places than to go to such places. Don't go up to Gilgal. Don't go up to Bethel because Bethel's no longer Bethel. It's beth What an appalling thing it is when a preacher has to say something like that. Don't go to that church. Better to stay away from that church than attend such places as them. When the public face of religion has been so corrupted that that old cliche, the nearer the church, the further from God, is actually true. There are some churches that should carry a government health warning. Worship can seriously damage your health. Some people say, well, I'm, I'm going to go to that church. A church where the word is never opened or the word is never preached or where the preaching is more or less just a sermonette and, and, and just contains the pastor's personal reflections and his personal experience. Don't go up, says God. Don't go to Gilgal. Don't go to Beth, Beth-Avon because Israel has been there and Israel is now like a stubborn heifer that resists the Word of God. There are many churches, many churches like that. They sing songs. They have sermons or sermonettes. They have communion. But the Word of God is not preached. Beware of a church. Here's a bit of practical advice. Beware of a church where the pastor never says, now open your Bible. Beware of a church like that. Beware of a church that the pastor speaks more of himself than of Jesus Christ. Beware of a church like that. Now, we criticize this church, to be sure. And we have lots of faults and lots of failings, to be sure. You know, I'm, as a pastor, can see the, the failings and the shortcomings in this church. But one of the things that we do have is the preaching of the Word of God. That preaching is central to the life of the church. That we are a biblically focused and a biblically driven church. That all of our pastoral team love the Scriptures and want to explain the Scriptures to the best of their ability so that it can never be said, my people perish through a lack of ignorance. And I, I think, I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about James and Josh and the elders. You should value that. Because that increasingly is becoming a very, very rare thing. Where the Word of God is central and where the Word of God is preached and where the Word of God is implemented. There can The charge examined they were spiritually corrupted and morally bankrupt. The reason explained, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. The source exposed, 
priests themselves, the clergy, had compromised and neglected the word of God. And the warning extended. Judah, take note, take warning. Do not be like them. Do not be like your your sister. Keep the, the word of God central to the life of the nation. Amen.